Coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast. These micro choices, our affirmation that we are worthwhile people actually validating our values and our core identity. And that is why we need to shift from simply talking about the perfect and perfect or something is better than nothing to I'm picking the joy choice. It isn't what I planned. It isn't what I hope to do, but gosh darn it. It's good enough for today. I'm going to give myself and my eating some grace, but I am staying on that path with this teeny little micro choice. Welcome to Passion Struck. Hi, I'm your host, John R. Miles. And on the show, we decipher the secrets, tips, and guidance of the world's most inspiring people and turn their wisdom into practical advice for you and those around you. Our mission is to help you unlock the power of intentionality so that you can become the best version of yourself. If you're new to the show, I offer advice and answer listener questions on Fridays. We have long form interviews the rest of the week with guests ranging from astronauts to authors, CEOs, creators, innovators, scientists, military leaders, visionaries, and athletes. Now, let's go out there and become passion struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 135 of Passion Struck. Recently ranked by Feedspot as one of the world's most inspirational podcasts. Thank you to each and every one of you who comes back weekly to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. In case you missed it, yesterday I interviewed the one and only Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen is the number one New York Times bestselling author of The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, Better Than Before, Outer Order, Intercom, and The Four Tendencies. Last week, I also interviewed astronaut Nicole Stott and former WNBA player Ann O'Neill. Please check them all out. I also wanted to say thank you so much for your ratings and reviews. We are now over 5,200 of them on iTunes alone. If you love today's episode or the podcast in general, we would appreciate so much you giving it a five-star review and sharing it with your friends and family members. I know we and our guests love to see comments from our listeners. They mean so much to us. Now, let's talk about today's incredible guest. Dr. Michelle Seeger is an award-winning NIH-funded behavioral change researcher at the University of Michigan and a lifestyle coach. She is the best-selling author of the book, no sweat, how the simple science of motivation can bring you a lifetime of fitness. For nearly three decades, she has pioneered methods to create sustainable, healthy behavioral change that are being used to boost patient health, employee well-being, as well as gym membership retention. On April 26, she released her latest book, The Joy Choice, How to Finally Achieve Lasting Changes in Eating and Exercise, which the Big Idea Club selected as one of their top 22 books to read in 2022. She is a sought-after expert and is frequently featured in major media like the New York Times, NPR, Forbes, and Prevention. And in our interview, we discuss how she developed her passion to focus her career on the science behind sustainable, healthy behavioral change, why we are incorrectly taught to focus behavioral change on starting and stopping, but not on sustaining, how the joy choice comes down to being intentional about everyday micro choices and the fact that we are all 
perfectly imperfect. Why is physical activity and exercise not just about sweat? The four decision disruptors in the joy choice that she refers to as trap. Why we encounter a vicious cycle of failure and our lives are so much like the metaphor of blowing bubbles. What she means by the perfection rabbit hole and its impact today on so many in society. The pop decision tool for guiding playful activities and the Wonder Woman effect and so much more. Thank you for choosing Passion Struck and choosing me to be your host and guide on creating an intentional life. Now, let the journey begin. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Michelle Seeger to the Passion Struck Podcast. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's so great to have you on, and you're one of only a couple University of Michigan graduates I've had on the show. And as we talked beforehand, a lifelong fan, so love to give publicity and support to anything I can, University of Michigan. Thank you so much. Go Blue! Go Blue, exactly. So I guess I wanted to start the interview out by understanding, since our show is about passion and intentionality, how did you develop the passion to make the science behind creating healthy behavior change your focus? Well, there was a very specific instance in 1994, I was doing my first master's degree in kinesiology. And this was for my master's thesis. We studied whether exercise could improve psychological outcomes among cancer survivors. And these were people who were living um, normal lives about four and a half years after treatment. So they weren't actively going through treatment. And we aimed to, we did a, a rigorous randomized trial where one group got exercise and the other group didn't. And then we took the measures again. And we did, we found that exercise significantly improved anxiety and depression in this group. And that's really the research question that we set out to study. But part of our study design was to call people back and conduct focus groups and talk to them. And we gave them the measures again to see how things were going. But despite the fact that everyone had been smiling and laughing in their respective focus groups before we kind of brought it to the full room, I was shortly to discover that even though the measures showed that they had improved with exercise, it turns out that almost everyone stopped exercising when our study had ended like three months before the focus groups. And I was floored. I was in my mid-20s, naive. I had thought that we had helped them in real life and not just did good research. But when I asked people why they had stopped exercising, they said they were too busy. They said they had families and work and aging parents and this and that and the other. And it dawned on me at this time that if people who had faced a life-threatening illness, like, let me just pause there. If people who have faced a life-threatening illness don't feel comfortable prioritizing their own self-care through a behavior like physical activity, then we have a true problem in society. And I, I want to add that. Like, let's just think about this. They prioritized exercise for us and our research, but they stopped prioritizing it once their commitment to the study ended. So did their commitment to their, themselves in this way. And it was 
that realization almost 30 years ago, that was my passion igniter. I, it was like, oh my gosh, this is a huge problem. And guess what? It's mine and I'm going to solve it. So everything I've done since that time has been in service of understanding, not just my focus really hasn't been about behavior change. It's been about how do we, what are the challenges to, and what are the solutions for creating sustainable behavior change in self-care behaviors like exercise and healthy eating? And I think so much of your passion weaves directly into what this podcast is all about, which is the power of intentionality in our lives. If I did a solo episode on the importance of choice, and it's become one of the most popular podcasts out of all of them, I really went through in life, so many of the choices we make become subconscious, and we just make them out of ritual or without even thinking about them. But the same thing applies to the most important choices in our life. And, and I really think too often we aren't conscious about the day-to-day -day choices that we're making. And so in your new book, The Joy Choice, you're really talking about this power of micro choice throughout it. And I was hoping you could maybe introduce the book through that lens. Oh, I love that. Thank you for asking me that question. No one has asked me that question. And it's so profound and is at the very core of why I wrote the book. I'm excited because you're asking me to think about it in this really relevant and compelling way. So the secret sauce to sustainable behavior change, drum roll, is <laughs> the consistent choices that we make now. And now, and now, and now, and now, throughout our days, throughout our weeks, throughout our months and years. So if we want to achieve sustainable change, lasting change, where we need to put our attention is on these micro choices. There's so much automatic thinking. The first thing that we have to do if we want to create the conditions for sustainable change and consistent choice making, we have to have a drive and a will. That's kind of a given. But if you have that, then we need to have the wherewithal in the moment to improvise. No matter how hard we plan, no matter how good our intentions, life just seems to throw those curveballs. The best way we can create consistent choices so that we can stay on the path of lasting change is to know how to improvise. And I can't help myself. This is a word that I love. It's in Spanish. It's espabilar, which is like land on your feet and make it happen, make it work. And so, and, and we can do that. The good news is that we can help people learn how to more adaptively address the in-the-moment choices. And number one, when they understand what are these unconscious forces that are mostly, by the way, socialized within our brains. They're not necessarily forces that are due to who we are, although our own experience connects them. It's things that we learned in society, like do it right. And you're doing this because your body isn't good enough. And then it's connected with shame. But then you want to rebel against it. So there's all these things, temptation, rebellion, accommodation, perfection that I have found in my coaching work that 
really derails our thinking at these choice points, at these micro choice points about healthy eating and exercise, because healthy eating and exercise are in a class of their own. So um, because they're intertwined with weight and all the cultural and junk and, and social norms that go with that, I'm going to stop there. I, I didn't give the solution yet, but I want to stop there and see if you have any reactions. We will be right back to our interview with Dr. Michelle Seeger. I would like to emphasize that this podcast is part of my desire and effort to bring zero-cost information to the general public. In keeping with that theme, I would like to thank the sponsors of today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Trade Coffee. I just finished a cup of their Panther Coffee, which comes from Guatemala. I love how it tastes of chocolate, black cherry, gala apple, and is so sweet and creamy. And I love how they have a quiz that matches your coffee taste with freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters. Trade really does a fantastic job of bringing the freshest and best tasting coffee that was actually tasted against thousands of coffees to provide you with the perfect coffee for you. Trade has delivered over 5 million bags of coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. And for our listeners right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash passionstruck. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash passionstruck and let trade find you a coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com passionstruck for $30 off. This year, one of my goals is maybe to try to revive my Spanish for an upcoming trip to Puerto Rico. With Babbel, the language learning app, that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. Not only is learning a new language fun, the whole Babbel process is addictively fun. It's fast. It's easy. Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons for real-world use. And I use my daily morning walks to digest Babbel's 15-minute lessons, which make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. I also enjoy their games. Other language apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 actual language experts. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. And right now, save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash passionstruck. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash passionstruck for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Please consider those who support the show and make it possible and free for our listeners. And I know all those links can be difficult to remember, so we will have one easy location you can go to at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to my interview with Dr. Michelle Seeger. No, I could not agree with you more. And it's something that I talk about a lot on this podcast um, is that our actions and what we do every single day are what influence the long-term outcomes that we want to have. But you can't think that you're going to get to this long-term outcome in one fell swoop. It really comes to deliberate things that you approach in your life. So for an example, for me is I read The 5am Club by Robin Sharma, and it completely changed the way I was looking at things. And after that, 
I made this decision that I was going to follow his guidance and start getting up at 5 a.m. Well, as with any habit we're trying to create, I love his saying that kind of all habits start out with this just enthusiasm towards them. And then you kind of putter out in the middle. And then if you're able to achieve them, it's glorious. But oftentimes we never get past that middle stage. It's because of the choices that we make along the way that are derailing us from keeping that habit in the first place. This is something that you cover about habits and kind of defunct some of the more popular books that are out there right now on habit formation. Yes. So let me just make a blanket statement. Habits are awesome. I count on my flossing habit. If I didn't have a habit to feed my dog and give him water in the morning, he might starve. So there are things, I'm joking, that's not really true, but I do depend on that habit. Um, Because our, our lives and our minds are so busy, it is helpful to have things that are automated. Having said that, having said that, the new thinking about habit formation is that complex behaviors like healthy eating and exercise just might be too complicated for habit formation to take hold. Now, I want to make a distinction between in the world today, people conflate the word habit with behavior and all kinds of other things. But what I'm talking about is habit formation and the goal of making a behavior so automatic that you don't have to think about it. And that's what a lot of the books are about. But here's where there's some challenges and concerns about it. I do have a flossing habit. It's automated. I walk into the bathroom and at night, that's when I floss. And it's it's, it's tied automatically to my brushing. I don't have to think about it. It's just, it's in this in unconscious dance with my toothbrush. But There aren't forces or things that get in the way in the bathroom. And the habit loop depends on a cue, an unwavering cue that if is it where when you see your gym bag at the door or is it when you walk into the bathroom or is it when your alarm goes off? A cue that is so central to everything that it cannot have any variety, any variability because the whole thing falls apart. And the rest of the steps are cue, behavior. So for me, that would be flossing. And then some kind of reward, which is, I, I'm not really sure what my unconscious reward is. It, it, I'm, it's, it's something that I feel good about. I know it's part of my self-care. But if every time I flossed, something unexpected happened, or even just a few times, it would just blast the ha- habit loop to smithereens. And that's why... I propose, and actually, this is in a line with the current conversations that are actually going on in the scientific literature about habit formation, that physical activity is so complex. There's so many aspects to it. There's so many people that are involved. Our schedule's involved, which means the unexpected and unanticipated, that it's in a completely different situation. And I categorize people as habiters. And unhabiters. And I ha- I'm an unhabiter. I have a lot of unexpected, unscheduled. I'm a little undisciplined and unorganized. But my husband is a the embodiment of a habiter. And he does his exercise habit every day. He set the conditions for his habit loop. So it, there's 
absolutely no room for disruption. At 5.30 in the morning, he gets up, no one else is up. There's nothing that's going to disrupt that habit loop. So I welcome people pushing back against this because I think this is a really interesting conversation, but I do think there's been an uncritical acceptance of the, the, the value of habit formation for complex behaviors that are intertwined with societal norms that actually are the opposite of rewarding. Well, I tend to agree with that. And you've got a great analogy that's in the book. And I also happen to see it in a Thrive Global article, uh, which I'll put in the show notes about why our life is like forever blowing bubbles. And I wanted to ask you out of that, why do so many of those bubbles collide and then burst on impact? I'm not a physicist, but I feel like that's a metaphysical question. It's how life is, right? I could be, I remember having a book deadline and really needing the time to work on something so I could turn it in. But my mom called and she had a need for me. She had a medical issue that she needed to get advice on. That's a bubble colliding, this really urgent book deadline. But my mom, my dear mom's real needs for that was a collision. And of course, taking that 15 minutes to talk to my mom, it didn't burst my book writing deadline, but it certainly cut into it. And that's how it works, right? Who knows? Before this podcast, um, you could have had an animal that you needed to take to an, an emergency vet. And then you would have called me and said, I have to reschedule. I'm really sorry. And that's the way things work, right? That's the way life works. But we haven't been taught to think about our eating and exercise with grace in the same way, with the same grace we give these other life areas. Well, I think that's a great point. And it reminds me of a concept that you have called the vicious cycle of failure that came out of your first book, but I think it applies to both books. And why do you think people fall into this trap? It's all due to the foundation of the vicious cycle of failure, why we don't give ourselves grace when it comes to healthy eating and exercise and slice and dice healthy eating and exercise like we do these all the other bubbles in our lives is because we've been socialized to have very narrow views of why we should be exercising and changing our diets and how we should be doing it and what success looks like. And the problem is that view, that it's a belief system. It's created a belief system at, uh, in the whole world. And the belief system derives out of our interest in research and, and the prescription, the doses that we find out about fruits and vegetables and exercise that are the optimal doses. And so, of course, that's what we think we should do. And the recommendations tell us we should do that. Um, but there are... Um, there's only a minority of people I have found in my 30 years of working with this that truly can push through all these, the traps that we face, a reason for exercising that feels like a should, getting up every morning when that 5.30 alarm happens. It's not a scientific category. It's a practitioner-based category, the habiters. And but. Even though maybe in the fitness industry that they say that 20% of the people are regularly coming to the gym and 80% don't and haven't made physical activity a permanent part of their lives. Despite the fact, I'm just going to borrow that 20%, 
that 20% of the population really are the only ones who can, who can succeed at this kind of all or nothing gold standard bullseye approach. Um, it's what the world has taught us. And so the other 80 percenters, which I am included in now, I am regularly active, but I am not part of that very disciplined group who, who stays sticks to the plan no matter what. And so given that the vast majority of the people have not been successful learning how to sustain um, physically active lives and, and, and um, stay regular with more healthier eating practices, we need a, we need a game-changing approach. And that was really one of the motivations for writing The Joy Choice. Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things, and Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities. From scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates, it's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees, and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers... According to a recent survey, saying Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit. To get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash PassionStruck, just go to Indeed.com slash PassionStruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to Passionstruck. Yes, well, it leads me to want to ask you about all four areas of the trap that you introduced, but I'm going to tackle uh, one of them first. And I've recently had the honor of interviewing both Susan Cain and Liz Fosselian in the past couple of weeks. And in both of those interviews, the topic of effortless perfection came up that is really plaguing so much of society today. And in chapter seven, you go into one of the four areas of trap, which is perfection. But your book is really about how do you live with perfect imperfection? So why do you think perfection is becoming such a huge issue and how does someone break themselves of that and learn to accept that being perfectly imperfect is fine? That is the question. And I want to, to before I answer, before I give you the answer, I want to just say that it's so embedded in our psyches that even when people understand that it hasn't worked for them, they're unwilling to try to change. And I want to tell you a very brief anecdote of a client. I worked with this woman. She set 
hugely ambitious goals. And as a coach, you don't want to tell people, oh, you can't do that, right? You want to give them an opportunity to learn. She didn't make any of them the first week, the second week, the third week, I decided to ask her like, why, when you come to these choice points, when something's going to get in your way, why aren't you doing something else that is going to work? I've told you about the research. I've told you about the new recommendations. Why are you choosing to do that? And she said to me, just very frankly, Michelle, I understand that something is better than nothing. I understand the science, but I just don't want to believe it. And she dumped me. (laughs) She stopped working with me. I don't blame her. It's, this is how bad it is. People can recognize that something hasn't worked for them. What other people are calling effortless perfection and I'm calling perfection and all or nothing thinking. It's just become this mental heuristic that it's this automatic go-to. The good news is I think we can help people learn to embrace the perfect and perfect when it comes to healthy eating and exercise. And I want to say there is this kind of global um societal optimization belief or or promotion that has been going on. And I think it's probably tied to technology. It's tied to the way our whole society is evolving. But I think we're seeing the mental health effects of people trying to do every area of their life right all the time. And when something, when one bubble pops, it is a failure. And so In my coaching work that I do, I find that it's very important to help people exorcise or take the bad out of the unhelpful, the non-optimal beliefs out of what they're trying to do. This is about intentionality and awareness. It's not just our past experiences, but what beliefs do we hold about X, Y, and Z that is driving me to make, once we're aware of those beliefs, then we can intentionally decide, are these working for me or are they not? And if they're not, it's an opportunity to um, exorcise them. And then what we need to do is shift into a experimental mindset. We also need to understand that there is new research that shows that Um, And of course, my area that I'm studying that the book is about is about healthy eating and exercise. Um, And and the research is mounting that's showing that um, aiming for imperfection when it comes to our diet plan or our exercise is actually more um, predictive of ongoing behavior and even weight loss maintenance. So it's counterintuitive to think that if you decide, if your MO is to, I'm going to, you know what? I'm just not going to try to do everything perfectly when it comes to my eating and exercise. And that that actually is a more adaptive um, approach and mindset than saying, I have this plan. I have to stick to it even on the weekends, even when I'm at a party, 100%, 100%, 100%. The research shows that it has a boomerang effect. And the alternative, which is the perfect and perfect is what leads to, to consistent choices. And so I also think we educate people about that and then we give them an opportunity to experiment. Well, let's just try it because it is hard to shift from all or nothing to something is better than nothing. Um, I'm going to pause. There's one other really important part to the solution, but I'm going to pause here to see what you think. 
I am very similar to your husband. I get up at 5 a.m. and I immediately, when the alarm goes off, jump out of bed. The first thing I do is I go right downstairs and I take my dog on a three to four mile walk. And for me, it's a great time to not only get some physical fitness in, but to listen to podcasts, think about the things I've got to do. Sometimes I just like to be completely mindful on the walk and just sit with my own thoughts. But then I go to the gym pretty much every day at the same time. And it's remarkable going back to your 80-20 that I would say at that time in the morning, whether I'm there 5.30 to 7 window, about 99% of the people I see are the exact same people every day. And on this perfection lens that we're talking about, um, one of those people I see on a regular basis happened to see me at the beach. And I have always been a gym rat. I'm in the gym five, six days a week uh, because for me, it's how I handle my mental health and getting anxiety out. I think I look great. I feel great. I just did an inside tracker evaluation that showed over 10 years, according to their evaluation, lower than my actual age. So I feel like I'm doing the right things. But he came up to me and he goes, if you would like to look like me, I can help you get there, um, but you're going to have to do some changes. And what I wanted to say to him was do steroids like you're doing, have a cocaine habit like you have and other things, but you don't want to degrade someone like that. There's just this image of perfection is someone who's got this Olympic yes. body style. And the reality is we all have our own body styles. Yes. And I don't care how many hours I put into the gym. I have a difficulty and have always had it, even when I was a division one athlete of having a six pack. Yes. But I will tell you, I have one of the, the strongest cores of anyone I know. So why do you think so many people go down this perfection rabbit hole that you mentioned in the book? The short answer is that we've been brainwashed. We've been educated, socialized, which are other words for indoctrination and brainwashing. It's no one's fault. This is a societal thing. This is how our society has evolved. And the way it works is we unconsciously take in attitudes, beliefs, and belief systems, it's an unconscious process through the culture we grew up in, through our family systems, through many ways, but it is what we, our brains now believe. The good news is we can change it. And, and thinking about it as brainwashing or indoctrination, I think is really helpful because it speaks to the embedded nature of this belief system, but we can change if we choose to, if we recognize that something is getting in our way, then we can make a change. Changing belief system, it's not like you can just snap your fingers. I mean, having awareness is important, but then you have to bring intentionality to these micro choices. And I want to shift to just parenting for a minute because as a, I'm a parent and I get frustrated and when I am my best parenting self, even when I'm upset at my, at my son, I can speak in a calm and loving way. But when I'm 
don't have control, I go to automatic reactions, which my voice might raise a little bit. If I'm going to change that reaction, that automatic reaction, then I have to be aware of that I have this trap. It's not part of the decision traps in the joy choice, but it is certainly a trap in my parenting. I need to bring intentionality and awareness and go, okay, here's what I want to say. Like you just said, you stopped yourself from saying that to that gym person. I want to yell, but that is not the parent I want to be. And in the moments when I am able to harness my cognition and my emotions, I am able to stop myself and go to a much more adaptive way, but we have to be aware. And that is a process of learning. The day I decided that I didn't want to yell at my son when he did something that frustrated me, wasn't the day that I was able to take over, but it was the day that I became intentional about that goal. We need to bring the same approach and frame to our healthy eating and exercise. I think that's a great explanation. And it's funny when I read most books and these days I'm reading two to three a week, if you can believe it, um, I typically start out at the acknowledgements, but in yours, something caught my eye and I just had to dive right into it because you start out by saying it's not your fault, which I, I was like, what is she getting to by saying that? And then I started reading, you lay it out that the singular story we've all been told of behavioral change is to start and stop, but we're not told how to sustain. And why is that so important? It's so important because like anything in life, we do what we're taught to do, right? If the story of behavior change, which is very outdated and simplistic right now, has taught us to do something, it's taught us to start and stop. The story hasn't been focused on sustainability. Let's shunt that word and talk about what it really means. It hasn't taught us how to adaptively, successfully navigate these micro choices that underlie the path of sustainability. If we want to create consistent decisions that keep us on the path of lasting change, then we need to be taught how to do it. And not just taught, because education is definitely not enough. We need to be compelled and inspired. And that's the other part of the joy choice that I think is really important. I was giving a lecture um, in Texas a couple of weeks ago, and this very esteemed professor at the end of it said, okay, Michelle, I'm going to push back. Do we really need to teach people that something is better than nothing? Like, hasn't that message, at least in the physical activity world, been out there for 30 years with the Surgeon General's report in 1996? And it's like, I can't believe that such a simple message we actually need to teach people. And I said, not only do we need to teach people, yes, yes, and yes, we need to do something more because it's been out there for 30 years. That's a sign that what we've been doing is actually ineffective. So what we need to do is we need to absolutely leap from simply giving people the updated science to making it compelling and meaningful. And so let me tell you how to do that with this. So here is how it goes. And there's a a new integrative theory on joy that lends itself perfectly to the joy choice. Joy reflects 
feeling that there is complete alignment between what we are doing in the moment and our core sense of self. So whenever we or our clients or employees or our patients um, are making an in-the-moment decision that favors their greater eating and exercise goals, what's actually happening is that we are realizing, we are actualizing who we truly are. And that is why we call it the joy choice. If we need to start believing, and it is truly the case that when any micro choice we make that is aiming to help us take care of ourselves, whether it's through choosing, and the key is in perfectly imperfect ways, because we can't do it perfectly. So we need to adapt this more flexible approach that science shows literally is what works for most people. But we need to understand and believe that these micro choices is affirmation that we are worthwhile people actually validating our values and our core identity. And that is why we need to shift from simply talking about the perfect and perfect or something is better than nothing to I'm picking the joy choice. It isn't what I planned. It isn't what I hope to do, but gosh, darn it. It's good enough for today. I'm going to give myself and my eating some grace, but I am staying on that path with this teeny little micro choice. Well, I'm going to stick on this topic for just a little bit longer. In a recent solo episode I did, it was all on the importance of living a balanced life. And I think so many people today are feeling helpless about so much in their lives and so much they feel is out of their control and they're kind of stuck where they are, whether it's their physical eating, life in general, whatever it may be. And I think we tend to categorize joy around the opposite of being unhappy. But to me, it's more, as I've looked at it, the helplessness that we're feeling is really the opposite of the joy. I think that that is a true statement. And I also think that I think overwhelm, having too much to do, that would tie into feeling helpless. I mean, when I think about what is the opposite of joy for me, it's often when I feel like I am juggling too many things and I can't stop. I literally have to keep juggling. And that happens when we have too much to do, but in a way that is a helplessness, right? I can't change it, right? If Now, from a bigger picture, if I always felt that way that, and I didn't change it, then I am being very unproactive about creating a life that is allowing me to live in the way that is going to lead to well-being and joy. Now, I have the luxury of being able to have choices over my life in that way. But I mean, part of the problem is that so many people are working two or three jobs to make ends meet, and they don't have the same luxury of saying, I need to change something so that I can not be juggling all the time. So I think in this question where we acknowledge helplessness, I think we need to differentiate between those of us who are in situations where we can 
bring intentionality to something and mindfulness and say, okay, this has been going on too long. I have to change something. And the people who are barely getting by and don't have the same um, resources, if you will, or opportunities to do that. And that speaks to really big structural level changes. I couldn't agree more with you. I think one of the issues that we run into is we have so many to-dos in our lives that those to-dos are so overwhelming. It kind of goes back to your bubble reference. But one of the concepts that I loved, um, and it was a diagram in the book, was the tornado of to-dos. I wanted you to explain that, but in the context of how does that impact life in general, but most importantly, our exercise and eating? Well, the tornado of to-dos is just this metaphor for how all these different things we have to do, right? And they're swirling around like a tornado, whether it's usually a combination of work and family needs, right? And now um, my son isn't playing sports right now, but if he were playing sports and was on a travel team, imagine all that. And you have these work needs and they've got homework needs and you've got cooking needs and they all twirl up together into a, a tornado. The thing that I like to visualize is if you go back to all or nothing thinking and we think about how we tend to use eating and exercise as these huge cows, I got to do it right. It's a huge cow. And when you think about your tornado to use, which is just the frenetic nature of our lives. And if you put a cow in there, it's going to fly right back out. But if you put a feather in there, or something light like a piece of paper, it's going to integrate into the tornado. Now, the reality is, is that our lives are kind of like tornadoes. The speed at which life goes now because of technology is the tornado. And we want to as much as we can, whether it's maybe turn down the speed of the tornado, but our lives are like tornadoes. So when it comes to healthy eating and exercise, and especially when we come, we confront Um, a choice point or an unexpected challenge to our plans, the perfect imperfect is what lets us keep our exercise in in healthy eating, intentional eating in the tornado and not have it fly right out. So that's how it fits together. Okay. I think that's a, a really helpful explanation. And I think one of the things that we don't allow ourselves to do enough as we get into these tornadoes in life is play. And it's funny, my most popular article I've ever written, I I think it's had 25,000 plus views, was on the vital importance of adult play. And it's funny because I think some schools must be teaching this in their curriculum because there are periods of the year that all of a sudden the thing just gets thousands of hits and then it kind of wanes. But I liked how in chapter 10, you covered this whole area of play. And I wanted to ask you, why is play so important? And how do you apply the three-step POP decision tool to it? Well, thank you for asking about that, because the notion of play and being playful really underlies um, what I'm trying, the experience I Um, wanted to design for people using pop and specifically picking the joy choice. So 
I, I think I'm going to give you a technical answer first, and then we'll get to the more pra pragmatic aspect of it. Um, we have this, our brains have this innate self-management system called executive functioning. And that is the system that helps us make the consistent choices and solve problems that, um, so that we can stay on the path of lasting change. And so really the most adaptive thing to do getting back to why we haven't learned sustainability is we need to think about how we can best support this tool we already have in our body to work optimally at these um, when things go awry or what I call choice points. And the way we do that is we have to keep it simple because our working memory, which is this transitory space in our um, executive functioning, um, part of our executive functioning, it's a mental ability. We can only hold one or two things in there at a time. So if we want to optimally navigate and improvise and problem solve um, at when things go awry, we want to support our working memory. Now, I do want to say that there's a lot of um, businesses out there that have tried to sell us that we can play brain games and that's actually going to help us beef up our working memory. But research conclusively shows that those types of things do not transfer into real life. So we have to come up with other things. If those brain games aren't going to help us with our working memory, what do we need to do? Well, we have to keep things simple. Whatever tools and techniques we're going to use at that choice point has to be simple. So that's the first um, executive function that I talk about in the book. But then we get to the fun part, play. Why do we call it play when what we're really talking about is supporting our, our um, flexible thinking, which is the second executive function? It is adaptive. This is our brain. It is considered across all areas of life, maybe not, you know, you're a military guy, so maybe not in the military, you know, maybe you can speak to that. But when it comes to living our lives and creating innovation in business and societies, flexible thinking is the holy grail. And it, it's, well, it's one of our executive functions. So how do we support that incredible resource? We do it through calling it play, letting our brains come up with new ideas, um, uh, um, solutions to solve what is going on in the moment. Oh my gosh, I was supposed to go out and take a walk, but I got a call and it interfered with my 60 minute walk that I planned. Do I just throw in the towel because I have all or nothing thinking or do I play with the possibilities and say, okay, I'm going to make the perfect and perfect choice because something is better than nothing. What else could I do? I could go out for 15 minutes now. I could take a family walk after dinner. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, my son on this walk, which he was not thrilled to be on, said to me, mom, is this a joy choice? And he, he knew immediately that that was, that was the joy choice that I had picked out of the options I was playing with. But so, so let's get to pop. Pause. We have to pause because that's what lets us harness this automatic, non-adaptive thinking that tends to get in the way. I can't do my walk. Shoot. I didn't. I missed my exercise today. So we've got to be able to name. I see you perfection. Then we go to the O and pop. Open up our options and play. We're playing. Coming up with solutions can be fun if we view it that way. Um, and then the third part, which is the second P, is pick the joy choice. And the joy choice is, 
is the perfect imperfect option that lets you stay on the path, that lets you do a micro choice of self-care because it reinforces the value. And when you can start thinking about this, what, and I've been experimenting with this and I have truly, I've seen how powerful it is when we anticipate that picking the joy choice, no matter how small, is an act of aligning our core self and values with this moment of self-care, it does lead to a joyful feeling. Um, so the POP acronym, circling back to working memory, keeps it simple so that we can support our brain's innate self-management system at these unexpected choices of, of, of conflict. And that's how that's training us for making the consistent decisions. Well, I think that's a great answer and was one of my favorite chapters in the book. And I believe today we do not have enough flexible thinking. That was my experience both in the military and working in big four consulting with many large companies and then myself working at multiple Fortune 500 companies. We practice too much groupthink and don't reward introverts and people who want to bring different ideas to the table, unfortunately. But that also happens in our own lives, as you bring about in the book. So I can't go through this discussion without, in some way, you talking about traps since it sits in the middle of the book. But I thought I'd go about it in a little bit different way. And that is today before the interview, I discovered that you have this great quiz on your website that measures what's really getting in the way of lasting change. So I thought maybe you could discuss trap through the lens of that quiz, tell the listeners where they could access it and then what the results might show them. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, like we talked about earlier, we need to identify what are the automatic thoughts and, and challenges and forces that arise at these choice points. And so I've identified four core, what I call decision disruptors, aka traps that get in our way. And I'm, let's go over. We talked about perfection and we can circle back at the end if you want. The first trap is temptation. And this is exactly as it sounds. It's this visceral desire we feel to devour the piece of chocolate cake that might be at a party and might not be at our current on our current eating plan or it's the visceral pull of the couch and we're watching the good place now and the visceral pull of wanting to just relax on the couch instead of maybe go out for a run and this is human nature this is part of our brain too but the mistake with thinking about temptation is that it's the external cake that's pulling us or the couch that we feel so drawn to. In fact, it's all inside our brain. It's our past experiences that we had the last time or our history of eating the cake, who we were with, what we were doing, the texture and the smell and the taste of that cake going down. 
Um, so what's really, and that's what I talk about in the book, in the chapter on temptation, I explain the new emerging theories that help us better understand why temptation has such a powerful pull, but what we can do to, um, to overcome it. Because it goes back to your earlier question, which is so on target. We've been taught to start and sustain, um, stop and start and stop and start, but not sustain. And one of the reasons that we haven't learned how to make consistent decision-making is because we haven't been taught to think about temptation as actually being um, a form of, uh, what's the technical word in the computer? Um, like a software, we've got software and hardware. Software, just software in our brain. But guess what? We can update the software once we understand that it's actually creating a glitch in the system. So that's temptation. The second um, trap is rebellion. And rebellion reflects the, the another human nature thing that goes on in our brain. And that is that human beings are motivated to reclaim their freedom when they feel it's been taken away from them. And so let's just dive right into changing our eating habits or exercising more. Often people initiate those changes out of shoulds because going back to what we talked about, that's the cultural narrative. The cultural narrative has taught us we should look like this. We should weigh this much. Our physicians tell us we're at risk of prediabetes. Um, the magazine tells us we're not worthy or people on the beach come up and tell us we're not worthy if we don't look like them. So there are all these pressures and that is that has been the cultural, the outdated and really harmful story of behavior change that has gotten us to adopt so many times, start and stop and start and stop, um, healthy eating and exercise. But those reasons actually get us to rebel against the very thing that we said we wanted to do. It's this innate brain-based reaction. But once we recognize that, only then are we in a position to say, to do something different. Um, so that's rebellion. The third is accommodation. And it's a little, it's in a slightly different category because it has to do with less about eating and exercise per se, and more about our beliefs, our belief systems um, around whether our own self-care behavior is as worthy as the emotional needs, the other needs of, our, of the people in our lives that we love and care about and respect, as well as the work we have to do. And um, accommodation is about consistently making the choice to subsume your own um eating plan or exercise consistently all the time for the needs of other people and projects. Now, it's so important. Connection is among the most important things in our life. Helping people and taking care of people and pro-social motivation is so important. But if we consistently, as Adam Grant so eloquently showed in his research and in his book, Give and Take, if we consistently do not um, prioritize or if we consistently subsume our own needs, then we won't have the energy and the resources to actually optimally take care of other people and projects. So that's what accommodation is. Let me, I'll give you a teeny little example. I was giving a talk to physicians and about these issues and a physician pulled me aside and whispered in my ear, the man who hired me and said, Michelle, we have this new gym 
and I don't prioritize my own self-care and, and go to the gym because of the work. And he said, in fact, I'm even embarrassed about going to the gym. So when I do decide to go to the gym at lunch, I actually try to hide behind the pillars of this new building. True story. So he's facing accommodation as the trap. And then the final one is perfection. The quiz on my website, which is free, is a very quick and it will let you see which of these phenomenons are your biggest traps. And it gives you insights into how you can sidestep them so they don't pull your thinking under. I'm going to ask you one more question, but before I do that, I think this is a good time for if readers want to find out more about you, get access to things or tools with either of your books, what are ways that they can do that? Oh, thank you for asking. On my um, website, which is my name, michelleseeger.com, there is a book page. Well, there's two book pages. There's the, if you click on the books, there's two links, one to the joy choice. That's where the quiz um, is housed for that, the traps. And then there's another link to no sweat um, too. So yeah, it's very easy. And, and there's a lot of different sellers, including local bookstores links to that people can find both in the U S and the UK. Okay. Well, in chapter 11, you discuss inhibition and why we need to rethink self-control I couldn't do an interview without you discussing the Wonder Woman effect. Yes. Well, let me just say what inhibition is. Inhibition is the third executive function that we want to support when it comes to navigating these momentary uh, challenges and choice points. We need to be motivated, basically, to make a choice. And the field has come at how do we strengthen the inhibition muscle um, through brain game, through computers and pushing joysticks toward broccoli on the screen and away from the French fries that show up on the screen. Doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because when it comes to real life daily moments, we have these parts of our lives that are so compelling, that are the bubbles that are coming to the forefront that we're focusing on that tie into our identity. So the Wonder Woman effect is when um, we have a plan. And well, can I tell you just quickly the story of how that introduces the Wonder Woman effect, the way it happened? So um, we were changing our all of our insurance um, to a new company. And as you know, there's lots of logistics and credit card stuff and decisions. And so I was about to just close the deal and make the new payment. I wanted to check that to do off my list. So my um, new insurance agent emailed me um, about finalizing things and saying they needed a credit card. So I literally got, it flew into my inbox and I immediately emailed back and said, call me and put my number to make it really easy. And she emailed back right away and said, sorry, I have to, I have to go to the gym right now. Um, can we talk? To, well, let's talk tomorrow. No person asked for permission. She's like, sorry, have to go to the gym. And when I asked her the next day, why she was so motivated to put off this seemingly two second task, she's like, I just know that if something happens and I don't make it, regardless of how long I'm there, I just don't feel my best. And I, I don't enjoy, um, you know, my work as much. And, you know, I'm not as good of a parent yet, et cetera, et cetera. And so for what I imagined her doing when I made that request is I imagined her putting her arm, 
her strong bracelet arms off and going, boom, Michelle's trying to get me to miss my gym. Boom, boom, boom. So she protected um, her, her trip to the gym. And, you know, that is, rather than thinking about it as inhibition, I think about it. And I think the research suggests it's much more helpful to think about how we can support our, uh, this part of our executive function. And if we actually figure out how to make the choice deeply meaningful, deeply compelling, and, and a positive experience for us. And that's why how we frame it matters so much. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you one last fun question, um, but I wanted you to apply the wisdom from both books, hopefully into the answer. Okay. So I've been lucky to have a number of astronauts um, on this podcast. In fact, my podcast coming up this next Tuesday is with Nicole Stott, um, a former astronaut. And my question is this, if you were an astronaut and you were on the first mission to Mars and the world parties told you that you could implement a guiding principle or law or behavior for civilization on Mars, what would it be? In today's answer, it would be being flexible and giving grace because I think that principle I've been, the word grace is a new word for me. It's only come to me as I've been talking about the need for flexibility and the adaptiveness of being flexible when it comes to our life. We have to be flexible in our jobs. We have to be flexible in our marriages. We have to be flexible in our parenting. So why wouldn't we also need to be flexible within our healthy eating and exercise project? When you take a big step back and you think about what we're doing, we're giving ourselves grace and we're giving the rest of the people we interact with grace. And that is kind and compassionate and what a great energy to put out in the world. Well, I think that's a great way to end our discussion today. And for the audience, I will make sure I have links to both of Michelle's books in the show notes, of course. And if you go to the Passion Struck page, I'll have pictures of the covers and, and even more um, about today's episode. But my takeaway for the audience is I've had a chance to read both books. Uh, Michelle's writing style reminds me of my own. They're very easy di to digest books with great illustrations that you will find very fun and will help you get through the books uh, very rapidly. So, Michelle, thank you so much for giving us here on the show the honor of, of getting to do this interview you, with you and getting to talk to you about your amazing new book. Thank you so much. I was going to say such a pleasure, but really it was more than that. It was a joy. That's a huge compliment. So thank you very much. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed that interview with Dr. Michelle Seeger and wanted to thank both Michelle and Hatchet Books for giving us the honor of releasing her new book, The Joy Choice, on the Passion Struck Podcast. During today's episode, I brought up a lot of past episodes that we covered in our discussion. These included the episode I did on applying the power of choice, which was episode 19, my interview with Susan Kane, which was episode 121, the interview with Liz Foslian, which was episode 128, my solo episode 
124 on creating a balanced life and episode 96 on burnout and why we need to stop living a materialistic life. Please check any of those out that appeal to you. And if you're new to the show or you would just like to introduce this to friends or family members, we now have episode starter packs, which are collections of your favorite episodes organized by topic, both on Spotify and on our website. These give you a great introduction to everything that we do here on the show. Now, go out there and become passion struck. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to the Passion Struck podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast at. And if you absolutely love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our Passion Struck community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us.